0: Man, wasn't that fun last week? Yeah, man, that was exciting. That was exciting. We're all about helping people follow Jesus here. That's what we're about here. And when people take that step of walking into the waters of baptism, following Jesus into those waters, it's a powerful moment in their lives, and we get to be a part of it. So that's why I wanted you guys to see that. Even one of those five decided last Sunday morning to get baptized, and that was exciting. Um, So I hope that you will do that, and you will mark your connection card, and we will dunk you the next time we have some baptisms. When you're ready. Okay, well, it's so good to see you. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you're here at Stapleton Church. We are jumping into our series again, Healthy Church, in the book of Titus. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Look in Titus chapter 2. We're going to have the verses up on the screen, but if you have a smartphone or whatever, if you want to follow along, that would be great. We're going through this whole book in this series, the book of Titus. It's not very long, but it's so important. It helps us and teaches us about what a healthy church is. Um, and last week I, I was here, I helped with baptisms, but I actually didn't speak, we had a great message from a guy named Leho, Pastor Leho, and he was all the way from Estonia, and I was amazed, it was a great message. Because he talked about a, a name, a, a type of person, who was it? The Andrews, everybody remembers that, it was such a great message, and if you're here, you're here and you're like, I, I don't remember that, or I wasn't here... Go to staplesandchurch.com and on our media tab we have the audio and video of that message It's a powerful message. I hope that you guys take the time to do that 20-30 minutes this week. It will really impact you But we're going to jump back into our Healthy Church series in part four The gospel is everything The gospel is everything If you're here and you're thinking, Matt, you sure do talk about the gospel a lot You're right You're right. I talk about it all the time <laughs> every week because the gospel is everything and if you're wondering you think now why do you talk about it so much well i get my cue uh, from martin luther the great theologian and he said this the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all christian doctrine most necessary is it that we know this article well teach it to others and what beat it into their heads continually so that's what i do i beat it into your heads over and over again because the gospel is so good, it really is everything. And I say this because we often think, as Christians, that the gospel is the beginning, and it is. The gospel is the beginning of our faith, of a transformed life. It's the beginning, but it's not just the beginning. It's everything. We sing "Amazing Grace." We know that we are saved by grace at the beginning, but we're also, as we're going to learn today, taught by grace for our whole life. I'm getting a little bit of feedback in here. You can work on it. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, the gospel is everything. And what I want to say, I, I found this quote from J.D. Greer, a pastor on the East Coast, and he says that, you know, a lot of people say that the gospel uh, is just the beginning. So the gospel is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity, he says. It is the pool that we swim in each and every day. Why don't you think about it. It's not just the beginning. It's the whole thing. It's everything. It's not just the, the gun that starts the race. Off, right? No, no, no. It's the entire course that you run in your life of faith as a Christian. The gospel is everything. So what is the gospel? What does that word mean? Good news. Good news. Left side. Man, you guys get a gold star. For my left side. Your right side. You guys got to work a little bit. Well, good news. Why is it good news? It, it, yeah, Jesus paid it all. You guys sitting that for a little bit this morning. <laughs> Jesus paid it all. It, it's the good news. It's not advice. Religion is advice. This is how you should live. The Gospel says this is how Jesus lived for you. The religion says you've got to try harder and be the best you could be because God only saves the best people. No, no, no. The Gospel says God saves bad people because none of us are good enough. None of us could live up to God's righteous requirements, his expectations. But Jesus did. And what we learn in this story of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that he lived the perfect life that we never could and something happened when he died on the cross because he didn't deserve to die. He was punished, he was executed for sins and crimes he did not commit. And what happened then was the, the great transaction that our sin and our punishment got put on Jesus Christ on the cross that we deserved. Jesus took it. But then the reward that he earned, the eternal life that he earned, right, and deserved, he gives it to us. And this amazing thing happens when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what we're talking about. It's that transaction happening, that we're forgiven, that all our sins are washed away, that Jesus paid it all, and we can live a righteous life, that we can inherit eternal life in the kingdom of God. And that's gospel. That's good news. Amen. That's good news. And what I want to teach you today, and I've talked about it before, but it's really important in our passage today, is that the gospel is everything. It's not just the beginning. It's not just the beginning, it's not just the gun that starts the race, it's the whole course. It's not just the diving board where you jump into the pool. It is the pool. Because the gospel should and does shape and change our entire lives as Christians. So we're going to learn that today, and what you're going to see in our passage is that Paul, who's been the Christian, he's been the missionary, the apostle of Jesus, starting all these churches over the known world at the time into um, Asia and into modern-day Europe and Italy, He was planting all these churches, and he started one church in Crete. Or he may have started it. We don't really know. We're not told much. But then he's putting this guy named Titus, a younger guy, and he's leaving Titus there to be the pastor, to set up a church, because there's all these new believers. What are we supposed to do? Let's set up a church that can be healthy so that you can do well. And so we're learning from that. Paul's writing this letter to Titus, and we kind of listen in and learn from it. So what Paul is going to do is he's going to instruct Titus in saying, hey, this is how you should teach people. And he's going to address five... Different categories of people there's instructions to five different groups and what we're going to see We're going to go through each one of those five because some of us are in different ones or in a couple of them And we're going to learn some instructions just for us And then what paul is going to do and why this message is so important is he's going to say hey This is how you should live and here's why And that's when we learn that the gospel is everything. Okay, so if you're wondering where the gospel is we're going to get to it we're going to get to it, but we're going to start with those five admonitions to those five different groups. So open up your Bible, uh, Titus 2, 1. Paul says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You're, you're the new pastor, Titus. What you need to teach is appropriate to sound doctrine. And we went two weeks ago in our series not to listen to the sound of false teachers, but to listen to what? Sound doctrine. That was our whole message, sound doctrine. And doctrine is theology. It's so important. You should go back and listen to that message too. But what it is, is sometimes we think, man, there's so much about theology. We, we think about it just like eschatology. Have you heard that word before? It's a fancy word for end times. Well, what do we believe about the end times? Is there a rapture? Is there this millennium? What happens? How is it all going to happen? What about Satan? What is that? Okay, are people lifted up into the air? What's all this stuff? Are people just going to disappear? We, we want to learn this doctrine, but most of us are like, I have no idea. I read The Left Behind as a kid. Is that right? It's not... It's not in the Bible, okay? Left behind is fiction. Okay, just, just a little hint right there. But we say, I don't know all that stuff. I don't know all these intricacies of doctrine and theology. But that's okay because in that message we learn that there's one simple tool that you can have to start out to find sound doctrine. And hopefully you will learn those things as you go as a Christian. But what was the tool I gave you? It was a medical instrument. A stethoscope. Is this stethoscope, and I said, because when a doctor comes in, is this healthy, is it not, is it alive, or is it dead? What do you do? You take the stethoscope, and if there's a heartbeat, okay, it's alive. There's none, uh uh-oh. Emergency situation, or this person's been dead for a while. So with doctrine, with theology, we can tell if a theology is good, if a church is good, if a denomination is good, if a a book, not a Bible, but if a book is good, how? What's our stethoscope? The gospel. We look for the gospel, and if the gospel is not there, it's not healthy. It's dead. Just don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. it's this uh, church's eschatology if they don't have the gospel. That's what matters. So we start there. So now, as Paul is saying in, in Titus 2.1, he said, make sure that you teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. That's what he's saying. What's appropriate to the gospel. What the gospel teaches us and trains us how to live. That's what's important. And I think that this is so important because I remember I grew up going to church. Some of you did as well. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. And I remember, especially as I was getting out of high school, I mean, I thought I knew everything. I thought I had all the, the fundamentals down, all the elementary teacher, and I thought that I could move beyond the gospel. That I'm ready for something deeper. I want to know the Greek words. I want to know some, some background to this stuff. I don't want to just that simple stuff. And I was so wrong. You know, Bobby asked you to think about that moment in your life where you needed God's grace in your life and it really changed everything I think about my moment. It was when I was a freshman in college and God radically changed my life God radically changed my life and I realized in that moment. I needed the gospel more than ever before I needed jesus's saving grace his death for me on the cross and I was not done with it just because I had been in church for a while You need it more and more and more And you'll realize this the longer you go as a Christian. That's why I beat it into your heads. So now we're going to look at these five different groups that Paul addresses starting in verse 2. Starting in verse 2 of Titus 2. Paul says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. So he starts out speaking to the older men. Now I'm not going to Say if you're an older man or not. I'll leave that up to you to decide. Somebody asked me after the first service, like, I, I heard it was 60, but it doesn't say that. It just says older men. Okay. The, I've heard 40, 60. So, you know, you're older than somebody. So those of you who know, you know that if you're an older man. Am I an older man? First service, people we like no, and then some of the kids were like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just depends on your vantage point, right? And that's how we're going to go. We're going to talk about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. But here he's just addressing these older men. He's saying these guys have been around. Maybe they've been around in the church for a while, but they have some experience. They've worked a career. They're well-known. This is what he says to them in particular. He says, be temperate. And then this, worthy of respect. I think that's so important. Because in our culture a little bit, but especially in the Jewish culture, if you were just older, if you had years, you deserved respect. Or so that's what people thought. I'm older, you should listen to me. Only because I have more age than you I've, been around, I, I've cycled around you know, On this planet a few more times than you So I am wiser than you But Paul isn't saying that He's saying, You older men you are worthy of respect No he says be worthy of respect This is something you have to work at It doesn't matter how old you are What it matters is how you live So what Paul is saying in this admonition to the older men Is something simple He's saying finish strong Saying finish strong I don't care how many years you've worked, how great of a name you've made for yourself in the work world. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying to you is finish strong. Be the type of person that's worthy of respect. You know, sometimes we kind of let people slide when they get older. Oh, that's just crazy uncle so-and-so. Oh, that's just grandpa. Everybody from that generation's racist. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. Paul's saying it doesn't matter how old you are. We need to work at being worthy of respect. So this is the admonition of the older and finish strong. Don't you remember the 2008 Detroit Lions? Great football team. It's the 10th year anniversary of the 2008 Detroit Lions. You remember them, right? They finished the preseason 4 and 0. Do you know what their record was in the regular season? 0 and 16. Nobody cares how well you start. What matters is how you finish. Nobody cares how well you start. It's how you finish. So that's what Paul's saying, older men. It's how you finish. Finish strong. And if we look back in verse two. Sound in faith and in love and in endurance. You're supposed to be loving and kind and working and growing in those things as you grow in your years. You don't just get to slide because you have the age on you. No, no, no. Keep working on it. And what I find is so interesting in this is that in our second message in this series, we talked about elders, the, the godly leaders, the shepherds of the church. And it was very similar to this. I, I think this is saying as you're getting older, every single one of us should aim to be like the elders, even if we don't necessarily serve on an elder board. We're trying to be the men, the godly men, the godly women that God has called us to. So finish strong, older men. You can say that to me if for some of you younger guys, Matt, you, you're an old man. Okay, so that's the first thing. But then Paul addresses the older women in verse 3. And once again, I'll let you define that for yourself. I'm not uh, stepping into that. Verse 3. Likewise, Paul says, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, Not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then it spins into the section on younger women and says, Then they can urge the younger women. This is so important because that word urge is like encourage, exhort, push them forward. So he's he's saying to the older women, hey, you have a responsibility. It's not just to yourself and to, to God to live a certain way, but to help those who are younger than you. And what Paul is saying here is be reverent in the way they live. This is why I think he says this. Those of you who are older women, you have a vast expanse of knowledge, experience, and wisdom and practical advice. You really do. I'm blown away by how much um, older women know. I'm like, wow, you've lived lifetimes, it seems like. You've raised kids. You have grandkids. You've moved here and there and had careers. And and there's so much that you have to to, to offer. But what can happen is that you tell people and teach people and they don't want to hear. Doesn't that happen sometimes? Well, what Paul is saying, you've got to live it out first if you want people to listen to you. You've got to live it out first if you want people to live it. How you live your life, not just what you have up here in heaven, because you have so much to offer and so much to share. So live it out first and be a model, be an example and then people will seek you out. The younger woman will seek you out to learn from you. I know it's so important because uh, there's just so much wisdom that comes with just experience, right? My wife and I, we're trying to figure out how to raise a child. McKinley's 18 months old, and a few months back, we were trying to figure out the bathtub because she just kept standing up. She wouldn't sit down in the bathtub, and we tried everything. We couldn't figure it out. And Melissa calls her mom. What do I do, Mom? Her mom said, well, just tell her to sit down. You're the boss. You're the mom. So that night, we tried that, and she sat down. Why couldn't we have figured that out, right? But we didn't know. <laughs> We don't know what we're doing. We still don't. But we can learn from somebody that's been there before, the mistakes that they've made, the things that they've learned from their mothers and their older women in their church, they can pass on. And there's so much, but you've got to live it out. Howard Hendricks, the great professor, said, you cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot impart what you do not possess. So you've got to live it out if you want others to listen to you. So that's my word that I'm summarizing Paul's message here. He's saying to the older women, embody so you can impart. Live it so that others will listen. Embody so you can impart. So that's what you've got to do. You have so much to give. And here's the other thing. Sometimes it just has to do with the attitude. Do you have the humble and loving and kind attitude? Because nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You know? Nobody cares until they know how much you care. So when you care, those of you who are older women, we have so much to learn from you in our church. And I'm so glad we have godly older men and godly older women in this church. It is a huge blessing to me. And to our entire church, all of us should be so grateful for that. We have so much to learn from you, so I'm encouraging you through Paul's words. embody so you can impart. Here's the next thing. Paul says in verse 4 and 5, Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. So here he's addressing the younger woman. You guys decide to love their husbands and children. So there's something about this cultural background that we don't understand because most marriages in this day, in this culture, were arranged. So the young women had to be taught to love their husbands because they probably didn't at first. They had to grow in love. And sometimes with kids in that day and in today's day, they can feel more like a burden than a blessing, Right? what Paul is saying to these younger women is, hey, you've got to love your spouses, love your kids, and work on that love so as I summarize this admonition to the young women I would say manage your hearts and manage your homes manage your hearts and manage your homes. God is asking the young women to focus on this, and I say manage your hearts because we decide who we love yes, you can fall in love, but you'll fall out of it just as quick and what I've seen in our culture is that people fall in love and now they're dating like five or six or seven years. And by the time they get married, they're out of love already. <laughs> then you have to choose to work on that. But, but even if you're still in love after seven years, oh my gosh, this person's so amazing and beautiful. You will fall out at some point, right? And you have to choose again and again to love them. You have to choose again and again to make love a verb. You've got to manage your heart and realize, okay, I've got to find the best things about this person. And realize how good they are. I've got to love my husband even when I don't want to. If you are married, for any span of time, you are going to have to learn to love your spouse. Maybe you learn to love him again after what they just did. Or after drifting away. The same thing can go with the kids. We have to learn to love them again when they've been so disobedient unruly, and unruly. Oh, I just want to wring their necks. So young women, that's what Paul is saying here. And if we can pull up this passage again. He says... So he's saying about their character to, do, to be self-controlled and pure, but then he says this, to be busy at home. And this catches people up. And they stop reading right there. To be busy at home. What does that mean? John Stott, uh, a great pastor and, and Bible commentator, he says it would not be legitimate to base on this word, because it's one word in the Greek, either a stay-at-home stereotype for all women or a prohibition of wives being also professional women. Point that out because it's not saying anything about that. It's just saying... If you've chosen as a woman to be a mother, if you've chosen as a woman to be a spouse, you've chosen to manage your home, to make them a priority over your work. Now, Proverbs 31 talks about this ideal, amazing woman, and she's actually like a real estate investor. She's working hard outside of the home and inside of it. But what Paul is saying here is, hey, this is your priority if you've chosen that. If you've chosen to get into that marriage relationship, you've chosen to love and respect your husband. If you've chosen to have kids, you, you've chosen that or you know, you've chosen to love them, to prioritize them, to say, hey, they're more important than anything that comes outside of home. You guys tracking with me? That's what Paul's saying here. Not you can't work outside the home, it's gotta be leave it to beaver, nineteen fifties. No. We have these stereotypes in our mind from things this is from the first century, not nineteen fifties, okay? A little bit older. So so this is so important, what he's saying to the younger woman: Manage your hearts and manage your homes. Focus on those two things. And I, I just want to say this. Women, I admire you. I had to take care of McKinley one night a couple of weeks ago. Man, it was tough. Most has to do it all day, every day. I'm like, I don't know how you do this. Like, I could barely handle one night. I know that, and we only have one. Some of you got three, four, five. Some of you have teenagers. Women, I admire you. I don't know how you do it. I look at, just in our own family, I look at Melissa and I say, wow, she cleans up all these messes, she takes care of stains and clothes, she deals with picky eater, plus she has to raise an 18-month-old. Man, this hard work. It took, a, it took you guys a little bit longer. You guys get a gold star for laughing louder. I don't know, this is kind of going back and forth in the crowd today. Okay, manage your hearts and manage your homes. I, I admire women so much because it's such a difficult job. And, and Paul's saying, hey, just, just focus on those things. Focus on your own heart and your home. That'll keep you busy. That'll keep you busy. And then Paul is now going to turn to the younger men. Says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Period. That's it. What? Seems strange, right? And this is an important thing because a lot of young men really struggle with self-control. They get addicted to, to, to gambling and substances and pornography and and trying to make more money at work that they ignore everything else and video games and And sports center and there's all sorts of things to distract you right as young men And, And we have to learn to not be controlled by something else but to control ourselves But the period Paul puts here is not saying that's it for young men That's only one thing you have to work on and you'll be great No, because then he goes on to say in everything Set them an example, talking to Titus. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be contemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So he's saying, Titus, as the pastor, as the leader of the church, you need to set an example for the young men because in everything they have to learn. This is what I'm saying, young men, You got a lot of stuff to learn. Me too. We got a lot of things to learn we got in tons of aspects of our life I think paul was like man if I just kept listening to these things that would be here all day That's why he says in everything. So what he's saying They have a lot of stuff to work on we do So let's look at the examples of those who are godly among us So what i'm saying the, the words the younger men here is to follow godly examples and become one We have so much we need to learn. We need to latch on to those who are older than us, those who are more mature in the faith, 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 learn from them, gather as much information as we can, glean things off them, catch stuff from them. It's just watching their lives. Even seek out some mentors and learn from them. Now, this is kind of an amazing coincidence, but with God, there's no coincidences, right? It's providence. That's what we believe. Um, I, I used an example in the first service, a guy named Colton Miller, and he just happens to be here in the second service. Um, he actually moved away to Boston last summer, but he's back today for the Sunday, so I'm so glad that he's here. But I remember when I first got here, I was a brand new pastor, I'm still a pretty young guy, but Colton said, hey, can we get breakfast someday? And I said, Let, yeah, let's go grab some breakfast. And we did. We got our food and we sat down, and right afterwards, he pulls out his like, little moleskin journal. And there was, he was like halfway through, so he'd been taking notes on all sorts of stuff, and he had a list of questions written down that he was going to ask me. And he asked me, what do you think about this? What's your, what's your position on this? What, what does the Bible say about that? And he was asking me all these questions. Colton and I love that. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, Providence, right? Um, but it's so amazing because he was just wanting to learn from me. I'm sure there's bad things that he could learn from me too, bad habits and stuff. I don't have things figured out. But he was just wanting to learn from someone's example. And I think we should all be like Colton. We should all find people in our lives and say, hey, I want to be like that person. And, and find good ones. Find good ones. And then just latch on to them. Become friends with them. Be proactive. I have always had a mentor in my life. Always, since I was 18. I've always sought after someone. Somebody then kind of took me under their wing, but I've sought after it. When I moved back to Denver, I found someone that could be a mentor that was uh, ahead of me that I could learn from and pick his brain. And when things come up, so we're, we're getting together regularly once a month. And then when things come up, I know who to call. Because I have no idea how to handle this situation. But now I have this relationship with someone that I respect that's a godly example. So this is what I would encourage for young men. Develop those relationships with people older than you. Say, hey, can we get coffee? Can we hang out? Can we get breakfast? Can we go fishing? That's your thing. And just develop a relationship and learn things from their life. Ask them questions. Follow godly examples and then become one. That's for the young men. That's the four groups. But then Paul throws in this fifth one. He says in verse 9, teach slaves... To be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So what I'm, you know, slavery was a reality in his Day and age it was they were in the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire Allowed slavery and it was a bad thing in the book of Philemon Paul talks about like wanting to end it Basically, he's pushing people towards that in Galatians 3 28. He says whether you're slave or free We're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all equal So I think he would have been pushing towards the end of that But it was the culture and he said there's some slaves now that are coming to Christ. They're Christians So should they run away? He's saying no Be subject to their masters and everything which is a challenging word. I'm sure in that day and he does say in First Corinthians, if you can get your freedom, if you can get it, you can get it in chapter 7. But he's saying, hey, if you're there in this situation that's hard and you have someone above you, what you need to do is work hard. So we do not have slaves in our society, but what we do have are employees and employers. So, of course, it's not to the extent of anything that happened in the past. But what we can learn from this is to apply it to our own lives because all of us work for somebody. Even if you own your own business, you still have to pay taxes right? You better be paying taxes. But we owe a responsibility to someone that's over us. A lot of us are employees. We work for somebody, and we are, can take this and apply it in our own context. So what Paul is saying to employees is to show Jesus through your work. How your work, your attitude, what you do with your work, that can show Jesus to people. Man, we're so good at complaining, aren't we? At our bosses and all the hard stuff we have to do, but Paul said no matter what it is, we need to earn our bosses' respect and trust, not steal from them, not do anything harsh to them, but instead to do what they say and to work so hard that they see Jesus through your very work. And that's a tough admonition for those of us who are employees. Show Jesus through your work, through your work. Okay, so we've now talked to these five different groups. Paul is saying this is how you should live, whether you're in these different situations. But then Paul's going to wrap it all up with our big idea. So let's look in the next section in this passage, because this is where it all comes together. You guys paying attention? Be fall asleep, nudge the person next to you who's falling asleep, okay? Elbow. For the grace of God, Titus says, or Paul says to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared... That offers salvation to all people This is so important because it starts with four He's saying all those admonitions that i've given those commands i've given to those five different groups Now we're going to say why we need to live that way in those situations in our life Four. why the grace of god has appeared and what is that? That's the gospel The grace of god that god loves us and has kindness to us even though we don't deserve it Even though we have sinned and turned away from the way we should live The grace of god has appeared who did it appear in? Jesus, that offers salvation to all people. And then here's so important. It teaches us. What teaches us? The grace of God. The gospel teaches us. It's not just that we're saved. It's not just the beginning. It teaches us throughout our whole lives to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then, Titus, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So all these teachings, these five groups that Titus is supposed to teach to in the healthy church, it all goes back. We look in verse 11 and 12, for the grace of God appeared, it teaches us. That word teach in Greek is paideu, from which we get education, pedagogy. That's the English word, pedagogy. The way you teach, the instruction, the training, it comes from the grace of God in the gospel. There's a great line in Amazing Grace, and we're going to sing it here in just a little bit. In the second verse, it starts out, "'Twas grace that what? Taught." My heart to fear. Grace teaches us how to live our life. The gospel leads us to live the way we're supposed to live. Yes, there's these instructions in the Bible. Every single one of the instructions we have in the New Testament, whether you're an older man or an older woman or a younger man, a younger woman, uh, an employee, whatever your situation in life, we're taught by the grace of God and the gospel how to live in those situations. Tim Keller said this, The main problem in the Christian life is that we have not thought out the deep implications of the gospel. All of us, to some degree, live around the truth of the gospel, but do not get it. So the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is the continual rediscovery of the gospel. You don't need more eschatology or you don't need to get a deep dive in the book of Leviticus. That's good. What you need is more of the gospel. That's why I beat it into your heads. Let's look back in our passage When paul said to the older men to finish strong How does that go to the gospel well didn't jesus finish strong? He was obedient up until his very last breath. Even when he was hanging on the cross. He didn't complain He said father forgive them For they know not what they do. He had love and compassion at the very end. He finished strong So older men, how could you not finish strong as well? older women When he says embody so you can impart didn't jesus wasn't he the very embodiment of love and righteousness Full of grace and truth it says and he came and he imparted that love He gave it to others and people listened to him. He spoke as one who had authority. Why because he embodied it Embodied it so much that he was willing to go to the cross to show how much he loved us To the younger women Manage your hearts and manage your homes Well, we look at how our Father in Heaven loved us. He's our parent, and even when we were the wayward spouse, unfaithful to Him and turning our back on our Father in Heaven, He still loved us so much to send Jesus to rescue us and return us to Him. When we were unruly children, lost in sin, He sent Jesus to seek after us, like even though we were the one of the 99 sheep, right? And if we realize that in the Gospel, how can we not, as parents... Love our kids. And as spouses love our spouses. And then for the younger men, follow godly examples and become one. Even Jesus followed the Father in heaven. Did everything the Father asked him to do. And he became an example for all of us through his death on the cross. An example of sacrificial love poured out for others. For employees, when we read, show Jesus through your work, Jesus did the work of the Father even if it meant obedience and death. On a cross. He showed himself. And we ought to his employees do the same. Do you see how in these five aspects the gospel is everything? It leads to everything. So no matter what your situation in life, no matter what your age or station, no matter where you work or in what relationship you're in, the gospel is everything. It's not just the beginning. And what we need to do is think through the implications. So I want you to think of that one situation that you're in right now. There might be several of those, right? A spouse, a child, a parent, an employee, whatever the the situation is, I want you to just think about one of them. What would the gospel mean for you in this situation? How would the grace of God change you right now? Just think through that and think through the implications, as Tim Keller challenged us to do in that quote. What would it mean so that if I am married to someone and I've fallen out of love and then they do something that's just deplorable, how could anyone do that? Well, we don't get back at them, do we? If we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we say, well, I did that kind of stuff to God in heaven. How could I not go after them and forgive them? We're wanting to wring the neck of our kids. I can't believe they did this again. Well, our Father in heaven has a lot of grace for us again and again and again in the gospel. How can we not then have grace for our children? To teach them, yes, but to love them so much and accept them even though they just getting on your nerves whatever your situation whatever your age whatever your station the gospel should change it because the gospel isn't just the beginning the gospel is everything it's not just the starting gun to our life it's how we finish our lives it's the very course we run it's not just the diving board that we jump into the water it's the pool we swim in so as bobby comes up we're gonna finish our service today with communion The first Sunday of the month, that's what we do here. And what we do, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, or you say, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ for the first time today, take this with us. It's how we physically remember what Jesus did for us. We remember the gospel. And we let it go into our souls and infuse inside of us and teach us and train us to live the way we should live. So we're going to take it and we're going to pass out the bread, we're going to pass out the cup, and then I want you guys to hold on to it and we're going to take it together as a family. And while we do that, Bobby's going to play for us Amazing Grace, because it was grace that taught our hearts to fear. It was grace that taught us how to live in every situation of our lives, and we need to remember that. It's not just the beginning, it's everything. Let's pray. God, Father in heaven, we are so thankful, so grateful that you did send your son to us, that we have this good news, this amazing news. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be this great moment that we think we can move past. No, your saving grace changes us every day of our lives. Let us never forget that. Let us swim in that pool again and again and feel the water of your grace on us. Let us be taught by your grace today as we partake, as we remember what you did for us on the cross when your body was broken and your blood shed for us. And Lord, let us never get beyond the gospel. But let us be able to think through in our situation, in our station of life, what does it mean for how I live and how I act. Because the gospel is everything. Amen.